Hey, this is WJ from Culture Cast Radio, and you are listening to the 4D Podcast Network. Michael Malone, and today I'm sharing the conversation I had with Brad Garrett. It is impossible to cover Brad's entire IMDb listing, but you probably know him best as Robert, the older and freakishly tall brother on Everybody Loves Raymond. That sitcom was on the air for nine seasons, and it's been ranked as one of the funniest all-time television comedies by Complex Magazine. Brad, of course, has starred in other TV shows, including Single Parents, Till Death, Fargo, Penny Dreadful, and has had a handful of appearances on series like Roseanne, Seinfeld, The King of Queens, Murphy Brown, Mad About You, and he's also done a lot of voiceover work you might not know about, including TV shows and films like Finding Nemo, The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Bobby's World, Justice League, Ratatouille, Garfield. Again, the list goes on and on. What you might not know is Brad started out as a stand-up comedian at the age of 18. He ended up cutting his teeth in Vegas, opening for Frank Sinatra, Deanne Warwick, Sammy Davis Jr., and ironically, he owns and operates his own comedy club right inside the MGM Grand. And I gotta tell you, it's beautiful. Brad has had a life of triumphs, but also one filled with tragedy, and that's what our conversation focused on. Brad has dealt with addiction most of his life. Actually, this year marks 24 years clean and sober for him. He also had an upbringing very similar to mine, one that included a a shifty father, a mother riddled with worry, and a a path that was laced with grief and laughter and sobriety. You know, just a few nights ago, I was reading the story I'd written about my father, and Whenever I find myself sharing deeply personal stories like that one, I I always try to think about every angle of the situation, you know, all the people that are going to read it and all the people involved. And I try to make it so nobody gets hurt, which is an almost impossible task, right? (laughs) Like everybody's perception is going to be different, you know. And after I finished reading this story, I really, I really sat down and thought about my father and his life, his choices, and I, I pulled into focus Everything from his perspective. How did he become the man that he was? Was he always that way? What were the regrets? What were his circumstances? And I think a lot of times we judge people on what we would do in that situation, right? The choices that we would make. But I think we forget that we're also gifted with hindsight. Living in those moments is very different than looking back at them. Because decisions are made in the now, not in the then. And as Brad and I talked about his parents and their choices, I I brought this up to him, this this idea of looking back at their stories with, you know, this this true sense of empathy. and, And he agreed. He said he's had similar thoughts like that. And has forced himself into thinking like his parents and putting himself in, in their shoes and years and years later after the damage has already been done. I don't think we do that often enough. I think a lot of times we graze over a situation, right? We feel those emotions 
and, and we anchor ourselves to them, right? We just take those with us. Whatever emotion we felt in that moment is what we carry with us. I don't think that's right. I think we need to let go of those emotions that we first felt, reevaluate the situation, look at the different angles, look at the different perspectives. And then whatever emotion you're feeling, then that's what you carry with you. It seems wasteful and foolish to just latch on to the, whatever instant emotion you felt, right? Doesn't it make sense to let some time and space in between you and those emotions and those actions take place and then begin to un unpack it? Anyways, I, I feel extremely lucky to have Brad in my life and to be so close with him. And uh, I've told him many times to his face that he feels more like family than he does a friend. You know, more like a, an older brother, a role model, even a mentor. I can't tell you how many times Brad and I have stayed up, you know, late in, into the night there in his green room and in Vegas. And we talked shop and politics and we, we dipped into the darkness of our lives, you know. And, <laughs> and man, I'm just so happy that I finally captured one of those conversations and that, uh, that I get to share it with you. Enjoy. I wanted to start today with uh, it's a it's a warning. Like it's going to sound like I'm kissing your ass here, but it's more of a warning for people that haven't met you yet. Uh, you are one of the most generous people I've ever met in my life, and uh, and it's got to get out more. <laughs> it's almost it's almost annoying how generous and good you are to people. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I don't think people understand, like, you're one of those people where you can't even mention anything uh, around uh, because you, you, you make it happen. You are that good to people. Uh, one of the, actually, the first time I met you, I'm in, the, I'm in your green room in, in Vegas there, and, uh, and I'm, I'm nervous. You know, you're Brad Garrett. And I'm just some guy that does dick jokes from Ohio, and, uh, and I'm looking around the room, and there's photos of you in the Rat Pack and Raymond and Robin Williams and all these legends, and... And, uh, and I, I'm, I'm like, well, what can I, what can I say to Brad that he, you know? And so I'm like, uh, Hey, uh, you, you smoke cigars and you're like, Oh yeah, I used to, you know, I used to be, and I was like, Oh, okay. And, uh, so we started, <laughs> yeah, in my head, it's just, <laughs> I'm like, uh-huh. Exactly. Uh -huh. It's like talking to a grizzly bear, you know? Right. Right. Uh, and so we're talking about cigars for a moment and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, the next night you come in, and again, I don't know you from Adam, you know, the next night you come in, you have five top shelf cigars that, and, and you throw them on the, on the green room table. Here you go, Mikey. Here's some cigars for you. <laughs> I just wow. mentioned at a small, t you know, like, hey, I like cigar. And next thing I know, boom, they're there. <laughs> like you are that. Generous. So I, I, my question is, uh, who hurt you? Uh, why? <laughs> Why are it's, you this that's nice? That's exactly what it is. I'm so <laughs> fucking insecure. I just give strangers cigars. <laughs> uh, I think what it is, is uh, so many people uh, coming up were very good to me. And uh, I mean, I, 
listen, the childhood, you know, that's another podcast, but um, there's a lot of insecurities that, that, that come along with this, but, but I, I just am big on uh, uh, doing the right thing with people. You know, uh, I, I, I was the kid from the Valley doing dick jokes. Uh, still am. And someone was <laughs> great to me uh, when I met them and I started out and, you know, I've, I've been lucky. And, um, and when I see people that I like, that are real, that are talented uh, as you are, I, I figure, uh, you know, you know, why, why, why not? Why not? <laughs> and, 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 and it, you know, it's like, I tell my kids, I, I, I do it for selfish reasons. I love doing it. I love, uh, it's the little things like that. Did you get the car? By the way, I, I, said, I did. Yeah. I did. Okay. It, was, right. uh, it was silver. It was supposed to be black. But hey, hey, you know what? It arrived. It's supposed Thank to be you. black. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> no, but uh, I think it goes. I mean, you, you and I have a lot of similarities. And I think love language is, is one of those things. And, you know, before this pandemic, I didn't really know what my love language was. You know, people would ask and I'd be like, I don't know. I just like to fuck. And they're like, no, no, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, I didn't right. know what it really was, but it, it is it is a service to others. You know, I love gift giving and doing things like that. It doesn't have to necessarily be a gift, but making things happen and, and, and being True. there for people and, and yes. showing up. And, and you didn't find that. Uh, I mean, you had that before the uh, quarantine in the pandemic. Well, yeah, you were but, like that before. Did you find it on a different level? Yeah, I just found myself recognizing it. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I noticed those things b- before, but I didn't really know that that was like, oh, that's my thing. You right. know? Uh, sure. Yeah. It's like, oh, I, I really, I, I find a lot like it, it makes me feel so good to see other people happy. And what I'm able to do is, you know, an active service is make something happen for somebody or be there for them or sure. do this or that. And it, it fills me up uh, rather than other love languages like physical touch and this and that. Like I, right. I didn't hone in on that until, uh, you know, this past year when you're we've all been locked in our house and forced to ask sure. ourselves, you know, who am I? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I wonder, it's like the reflecting that I've done and, and the things that I've, found out about myself, which I kind of knew, uh, I worried, you know, we're there. Um, you wonder when you start getting back out in the world, how much of it will just, you know, forget or, or, or not exercise the way we, you know, we, we thought, but boy, this quarantine has really uh, uh, affected artists and such a people in general, but it's interesting talking to other artists how they feel. Uh, but, you know, you've always been so honest and transparent about everything and it's interesting that you you call it you know how your love language has changed maybe that's with you know you seem to be with an amazing gal uh, are you still together oh yeah yeah and and that's okay. that's you know you know what a, a good woman does to you you know she brings out of all course. the best qualities of, of of yourself you know she that's right a good woman will will uh, or a good partner i guess will challenge sure. you uh and they they challenge you in good ways and in bad ways and you see yeah. these these changes happen if not immediately but slowly and you start uh, right. you know it's you need to find somebody that uh that not only that you pair well with but also uh, you know fights back a little on on your beliefs yeah. and you know yeah. Um, because it's not, I mean, what, what fun would it be if you're just with somebody that's just like agreeing with you all the time and you right, wouldn't learn, right. you wouldn't grow. And you know, that sounds like fun. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 
that sound like a good time? <laughs> well, yeah, and we also have we have a lot of similarities with um with our with our upbringing as well, and it's so similar yet opposite. Uh, you have uh, you grew up with a mom who was similar to mine. Um, uh, you know, my mother was always worried about something. There was always something yeah. wrong. There was always health. Why? You know, my mother would never have a, a, a quote unquote good day. Right. Uh, right. You know. Right. And uh, and my father was. I mean, you know, you and I have had many a talks. He's he was on everything sure. but the right path. You know. <laughs> right. um, but oh, where yeah. we where we differ is you uh, you had grown up primarily with your father and I had been with my mom. Right. Uh, right. How, how did you, how, what was that like growing up with this? Uh, I, I don't, I don't want to describe, I, I'd rather have you describing because I have an idea. We all have ideas of what other people's, sure. you know, father is this and that, like, how, how would you describe him? My father was incredibly uh, supportive um, he, he took a lot of hits in his life. Um, uh, we found out later in his life, he was bipolar, which kind of explained a lot of, uh, his struggles. You know, I was, uh, you know, my father's eyes, I could do no wrong, uh, which is not always healthy. Uh, we were very, very good buddies and there were some times when the father-son line blurred a little into a tight friendship where it maybe could have stayed or should have stayed more in a parental area. But he was my, you know, my guy. He's the reason why things work in my life. And unfortunately, as he got older, the mental illness really took over him and uh, uh, to some devastating uh, ramifications, but he was always, uh, always had that heart of gold. I got my dad's heart. He was always there for everyone, married six times and rarely there for himself. His self-care wasn't great. He wasn't raised about self-care. He was raised by an abusive father, uh, who was physically, uh, hurtful to him, who would beat him and shit like that. And, uh, my mom just hid in bed her whole life. Um, my mom, uh, had a fear of everything. And, and when they got divorced, they were married for seven years. When they got divorced, I was, I was seven and, um, I took it really, really rough. I had a ton of guilt from my mom that my father always tried to explain to me from an early stage that the divorce had nothing to do with me, but I just easily blamed myself. And, uh, my mom was, very emotionally weak, wounded, needy, frightened, hidden bed, um, was, was suffering herself from um, uh, mental illness, uh, manic depression, which just really uh, gave a color to our life. And me and my two older brothers, uh, you know, everybody moved out the minute they could. And my dad uh, was with me all the time, even though they were divorced. There wasn't a weekend. I didn't see him many times during the week. He would come and get me. But um, it, it, was, uh, it, 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 it was a mixed bag. I mean, I got a lot of great stuff from my dad. And ha as he got older, you know, I kind of started raising him. Uh, my mom, I always had a raise, but there came a point when, 
it was just really, I, I couldn't really uh, continue to battle the prescription meds that she was on and, and the other things uh, as well. And when I was, a, you know, I couldn't get her help. My father was great. He, he was, uh, he was a very hip dad, you know, and uh, uh, he, he, he felt that therapy for me was crucial. And I was, when I was like nine, Oh wow. You know, uh, that's so I, odd for his generation to very odd, yeah. but he was in therapy, you know, I mean, the thing about my dad, he was open to his shit but his shit was so intense that without medication and, and stuff like that, which he would not succumb to, which he needed, his battles were just prolonged and, and ongoing, but he was very much into therapy and self-reflection. And uh, he was an honest dude, man. And he called it like he saw it. And, um, and, uh, and, and he got me into therapy, which I really think saved my life. I ended up, you know, having substance issues for years, even during and after therapy. And I've been clean now, you know, 24 years, but the therapy, it's like, he knew, you know, I love my dad and we were close growing up, but he would tell me something and it was hard to believe that I was okay coming from my father, that things were going to get better. Uh, that, that my mom was, you know, the worst thing parents can do from or parents either from divorce or ones that aren't is bad rap the other parent. And I had that on both sides and, uh, and especially from my mom. And it really destroys a child when you bad rap who your heroes are and you take shots at them because then your guilt compounds into uh, an unlivable amount uh, because you cannot have terrible guilt when another parent is talking about someone you love, someone you care about and something the other parent should care about. So it's just a, you know, it's, it's a mind fucking that goes on when divorced parents start to bad rap the other parent. That was something when I got divorced that me and my wife swore to never do. And uh, you know, we had a different situation. We were able to do all the kids' parties and holidays and everything together up until a couple of years ago where we were like, you know, they're adults. It's enough. They don't have to think we're great friends. And uh, we'll always be there if the other one needs anyone. But Yeah, my, and uh, it's, I was just going to ask about that, about the, the language between the, the two parents there, because my, my mother did that. My mother uh, – stepped up and she wouldn't ever say any bad things about my father. And, you know, my mother's relationship. Well, that's huge. Yeah. was like your, your relationship with your father. We were the best of friends and almost too much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it was a very blurred line between parenting and friendship. And, uh, and so, you know, my father was, you know, kind of missing in action most of the time and, and, uh, you know, and pills and everything else. And so, but I, I never knew that as a kid, you know, my mother would always hide that. Uh, side of his life from me and he was always you know yeah whenever i would that way whenever i thought about him or you know whatever he was still my father um she never took that that image away you know that that title or that you know whatever i i put on him she never never messed with that which is huge right. um, did you ever ask her like where is he why do he split why is he not around was that ever talked about 
Um, it was always, uh, you know, he was, uh, he was working, he was this and that, you know, it was always some kind of excuse. And then, you know, the curtain slowly became, uh, more open when I got older, you know, he passed when I was 12, but, um, you know, when I was That's like, tough. when I was 10 or 11 there, you know, I slowly started to see my father for who he was, you know, there were, there were nights, um, <laughs> there was one night I had talk about it in, the, in my book is uh, my dad came home and, uh, about 11 o'clock, maybe midnight. And, uh, my mom, my mom would stay up with me every once in a while and watch tales from the crypt on HBO. That was our thing. We were watching that one night and my dad came home from the bar, just, just shit faced. And, uh, and he's like, Nancy, uh, I need, a, I need a ride in town. And my mom's like, well, how did you get home? Where's your car? And he's like, I, I, I gave it to a guy at the bar. He said I was too drunk to drive. <laughs> so my father had given oh, his, his yeah. keys away to some stranger that he had just met that night. And so here I am at, you know, one in the morning and I'm riding in the back seat with my, my mom and dad and, and we're going on the bad side of town. And, you know, I'm watching my father uh, walk into some crack house at one in the morning to go get his yeah. keys from somebody. And so moments like that <laughs> started to become uh, Was he living at home at the time. Yeah. When this happened? Yeah. He was. Okay. So yeah. so you were like what? Nine? Uh, I was like 10, yeah, 10, 11, somewhere around there. That's tough shit. Yeah, but you know, other than but my mother still would even years after he passed and when I was growing up, she would never badmouth him and and uh, you know, for her. she would let things slip every once in a while. We were driving one time and she she pointed at this uh at, we were passing this prison and she goes, "Well, that was the prison your father was in." I was, you know, I'm 30 years old. I'd never heard this story. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, things like that, or, you know, years and years later, I started to, to, to see behind the curtain and who my father really was. And, and I'm sure that you've had these, these experiences as well. And what I, what I've, you know, now that I have the hindsight and I'm older and I realize that, you know, they're just people trying to do the best that they fucking can. Right. That's what, that's, that's what your right. parents are. That's, and, that's uh, where the forgiveness starts and the gratefulness starts. I was just going to ask that. Yeah. Is how do you, yeah. have you looked back on your mother's behavior and your, and sure. their relationship and thought and, and had a little bit of that forgiveness? You know, I have. I, I, I have to the day my mom passed, uh, you know, I was at her bedside. I mean, uh, we, we, um, uh, one of my biggest regrets was not accepting who she was earlier. Yes. Uh, the wounds that I suffered as a child, um, you know, uh, I, I really never, uh, you don't attribute it to mental illness until you're older and later in life. And, you know, you and I, you know, we, we, we navigate the waters of looking at our shit. And the more I learned about mental illness and everything else, the more I, you know, like when I hit 35, it was like, I wonder what happened to mom that I don't know. Yes. I started looking at my father that way about his pill addiction and this and that. And you're like, I, how how did he get there? Yes. Yes. And there, I always had a compassion for my mom, but she was so manipulative and so passive aggressive and had a real 
anger streak and a real divide and conquer between the family. Uh, I, I always held family in such high regard because I never really had one. Uh, everyone was just, you know, saving themselves from the drama and the dysfunction that everyone just splintered in my family. Everyone went their own way. So like my father, who always wanted that family. So while you're always trying to gather that family, you, you, you don't want to accept that there are some things that just won't happen. And it's like I looked at my mom's parents and I'm like, they seem such, they're such cool people. They're warm grandmother, grandfather. They're so, what happened? What could have happened to her? Well, maybe they're worth it. But that's before I went, this is chemical. My mom had chemical shit. There was nothing frightening. Now, there were some things about her upbringing that did hurt her. Uh, uh, as far as things that she saw, there was uh, uh, some infidelity within her parents' marriage that she was privy to, uh, that can definitely fuck up uh, a kid, especially a daughter. Um, but it was above and beyond that. And it was chemical. And I tried for years to get my mom help, to get her therapy, to get her to just maybe look at why she lives in fear, why she lives in bed, why she's afraid to go out. And, you know, I couldn't get her to the other side, um, which is, I think, why you and I maybe got into humor. It's like, well, fuck, the only thing I can do, oh, if I could just make my sad parents laugh, <laughs> yeah. if I could just, you know, make them laugh. And my dad had an incredible sense of humor, could have very easily been a stand up, but he was shy, but his mind was so quick. And... Um, you know, I think a lot of comics come from sad parents, um, you know, or a scenario where they need that buffer. But um, as my mom got older, you know, um, I saw the pain and the, you know, and then the medications that ended up leaving, uh, leading to Alzheimer and dementia. And that's a, that's a brutal, brutal thing to uh, see a person go through. But you know, there are those that are willing to deal with their shit um, that want this, you know, we all have it, as we know. And I think especially that generation, like you said, uh, uh, it was taboo to look at it. I mean, mental illness is, is now touchy. It's coming to the forefront. And now people are hearing about it more and more that these people who are killing themselves, no, they're not people that are sad or got to rub some dirt on it or just get out of the house and get a hobby. They're people that are in extreme pain uh, that is probably 80% chemical. Uh, and, and, and in many type, uh, in many situations are, are people that have come from abuse. Yeah. Be it emotional or physical. Yeah. And I, I don't think, you know, uh, we're just, uh, it's, you and I have talked about this so many times about this culture that we live in here in America and the bravado and the alphaness and uh, just afraid to let down that guard and say, Hey, something's wrong. Yeah. And uh, I think that would go such a long way if we, if more and more people have just have not backed down and, you know, and, and this, this older generation uh, has, has been able to, to actually listen 
when we say, Hey, something's not right. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's so, so important. And I think it's, it's the younger generation. I mean, we always look to them, you know, we always say maybe the next generation, but um, it, there's definitely an awakening. Um, you know, they're, they're calling the young, young generation now the COVID generation. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, strain on a lot of our children today who went through something that was unexplainable, who went through a, um, a separation of a life they knew overnight. Um, I was talking to some friends that have younger children who uh, have a rough time at school, who were bullied. They're thriving now online. They love not having to go to school and deal with uh, these pricks out there that bully children. But then a part of me says, well, it's great, they, but is it healthy? They don't have to deal. They don't have to learn how to get up over the bullying that I had to you know, get over um, that definitely left a fucking mark. But you know, what is healthier? Uh, um, so, and then the kids that are social butterflies that are being, that's how they're fed. Now they're, you know, and it's making uh, a generation that has been doing this their whole life now even more addicted to this shit that we're doing as opposed to doing it in person. So there's a lot of questions and, and I think real depression and anxiety issues. You know, what do you tell an eight, nine, 10 year old kid that there's a pandemic and a half a million people have died? How do you, you know, sequester that anxiety how do you talk them through it while still being honest? How much info do you give a younger kid? You know, it's that constant balancing act you have as a parent without a pandemic. Yeah. And, so, and unfortunately, you also have to battle on top of that. You have to battle the propaganda that's also happening from the other side, who is. Oh God, yes. So the other kids at school who have parents who are on the extreme right or whatever, who do believe in this idea of pandemic and all these things and COVID oh. being a hoax and the vaccine and all the. So you you <laughs> now you have to battle them interacting with those children on top of this idea of grasping what the idea of what a global pandemic is. You know, we have a 14 year old here you know uh her right. daughter and uh you know she looks she barely looks up from her phone as it is and you know um and now she's been you know even in the beginning it was hard to get a, get her to wrap her mind around what was happening you know she's like well can we just, can we go to target you know it's like no yep. no we're you know this was at the stage where we're still putting lysol on the mail you know yep. <laughs> we're like i remember that yeah so it's like no 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 you don't understand like the whole world is shut down and, yeah. and even as yeah. an adult, that's a hard, uh, you know, it's still hard for me to really grasp the concept of like sure. the entire what world point, shut down. Yeah, I, I know. And you and I have, always, you know, you and I have always been on the same page uh, in a lot of areas, uh, you, know, you know, not just politically or socially or, you, you know, whatever, but at what point did you go, screw it, I'm not washing the mail? How long did 
Oh man, it was. You know what? You know what's so funny is I remember. I remember going to the the grocery store. Uh, you know, trying yeah. to fist fight for toilet paper, and uh, yeah. my girlfriend and I had the mask on, and then we had dish gloves. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we would go to. I know. I, I, you know what, I, I touched the mask with my glove. <laughs> yes. You know, and yeah. Yeah, it's it's so true. And thank God we were like that. We probably saved 100 people right. being that way. But, you know, there was a point where I'm washing the mail and I look at Izzy and I go, you know, do, do we have to wash the mail that we know we're throwing? And it became a thing. And I'm like, you know, after one month, I'm like, if I get COVID from a subpoena, then I deserve it. I deserve I can't it. wash the mail. Yeah. Can't wash the mail anymore. Yeah, it was very that early was on that I was like, eh, fuck that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. And it's, you know, it, it, people like you and I who have an understanding of this being new and like, you know, uncharted territory and this and that, like, uh, you know, those kind of hiccups where the CDC goes, uh, you have to wash your mail. Uh, no, you don't. Uh, yeah, you do. Uh, wear gloves. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, put a mask on. Well, uh, you and I still were like, you know, people like us were like, cool, we'll just, we'll just keep, you know, wearing a mask and doing the thing and washing our hands instead of going the extreme route of being like, this isn't real. They're making it up. The government's trying to control me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, you, you know, it's funny because, you know, that's, that's a study in mental health. When you watch the people that think it's a conspiracy that think that it's a pandemic, as you said, that think that, you know, Biden won't be able to fix it without getting political. And I kept studying these people, like the QAnon people, which is really extreme type A mental paranoia, which you see in schizophrenic people. I'm not talking about people that vote for Trump. That's a choice. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about Republicans. I'm not talking. I'm talking about people that think someone's out to get me. You're out to hurt me. The mask is going against, you know, my civil rights, all the bullshit, you know, they're and, and what's odd is they usually end up falling in the category who think George Floyd had it coming. So it's like, it's oddly this group where I'm not going to say there's something wrong with them, but there's something wrong with them. (laughs) Right. You know, it's just very, very strange. You know, when you, when you get into the conspiracy thing and what I've noticed people like this are the most fearful people in the world because for them to really go, okay, there's a pandemic 35,000 people a day are dying. This is scary shit. How are we going to, what are we going to do? That takes much bigger balls and thought than going, it's a hoax. Because when you call it a hoax, you're able to ease your fear and move away from having to do what's needed. Right. And, uh, you know, and this goes back to what we were talking about with self-care is a lot of times the the thing that you really don't want to do is the thing that you have to fucking do to get better. <laughs> you know, oh, the, man. The... It's simple, well put, Mike, it's as simple as that. 
You know, it's hard. It's fucking, hey, self-care sounds wonderful. Yeah, I'd like a spa day. That's just the beginning. (laughs) Self-care is digging into your shit so you can care for yourself in that proper way. And and, and let me tell you, it's like anything else. A lot of people don't want to do the work. And you want to know something? I get it. I get it. There were days I didn't want to be fucking sober. So I, I, I drank for two more years. I wasn't ready. That's okay. But don't lay it's a hoax on me. If you're not ready to do what you need to do, don't fucking spin the narrative to where it's killing people. It's like, you know, I had my vaccines because I work. I was lucky. I, I got them a little before I should. I got them a month ago because I work at a hospice out here. I volunteer at a hospice uh, um, in Vegas. And they called me one day and they said, are you in town? And I was in L.A. I said, no. And they said, we have three spares. We were calling you. And I drove here and I got I still wear a mask. I, I'm literally outside of the envelope to where I've had my second shot. I wear a mask. And, and you know, what? I know it's weird because one thing about my upbringing, as cuckoo as it was, I was raised by good parents. They were suffering, but they were good humans. And they raised me with respect and they raised me to have respect for others. And I wear, that's why I wear a mask, even though I, it's not like, well, I can't get it. Why wear it? It's because there's still too many unknowns. And I'm talking to a guy who's 80 and on a scooter, I should be wearing a fucking mask because I don't have the answers. So I think a lot of it comes down to how you're wired as a human being to do the right thing, you know? Yeah, it comes down to that, that, that selflessness of, you know, again, doing it for others and not doing it for you. I mean, sure, uh, of course, I'd be lying if I said if, if it's not, you know, it, it, it's not about me. It fucking is. I also don't want to get sick. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, you know. Definitely about me. It, it's definitely sure. about me. But, but that, being about me is being about them too. And that's okay. And that's, that's the, the thing. Yeah, exactly. Self care is. I don't want to fucking. I don't want to fucking get sick. I mean, you know, uh, and, and that's why I didn't see my kids for a while because you know, one what you know, my son Max is about to graduate nursing school, and you know, he was he's been working Dodger Stadium giving out the vaccines for the last two months, and before I got my shot, he was like, you know, and and I see my kids all the time, right. and I love it. And he's like, I can't be around you for, you know, I totally get it. And he was PPE'd and he had all the stuff, but you know, you care enough that you, you do the right thing. And sometimes it's not the convenient thing. What, what and, a what a great time to be from a bad family though. You know, you're like, Hey, I'm not going to be able to see you. <laughs> I, oh, I, oh, Easter's coming up. Oh, you know, the whole pandemic. That's thing. hysterical. You know what I have to say? <laughs> I probably shouldn't be saying this out in the open, but I'm not a real social person. I'm a yeah. bit of a hermit. And and people are like, uh, you know, you should work on that. And I'm like, okay. You know, I'm just, I'm just not, you know, I'm just, you know, you and I are living as we have to be social all the time, even when we don't feel like, you know, people that aren't a performer, you can go to work and sit in the cubicle and, and, you know, still, you know, uh, not be, but with us, we're forced to be around people all the time. You, so now what I'm worried about is the great thing about COVID. I, I, the first seven months of quarantine, I was in heaven, 
you know, I was like, shit, I've been social distancing my whole life. <laughs> you know, this isn't that strange. And then I got like, I miss my restaurants. I miss the movies. I love going, but I, but I've been using, it's like people going, Hey, we're having a masked party. It's just going to be six of us. And the ones in the kitchen will rotate to people in the garage, you know? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm, I just, I'm just really worried about COVID. And, and then as it started to get better, I'm like, oh, fuck, what am I going to use as an excuse not to see this handful of people? You know, oh, I, I don't know. You know, my mask broke. I tried that for about a week. And now it's like, I don't have my shot. Now that I have my shots, I'm like, I got a reaction to the second one. I'm not feeling, you know, we're going to have to start being with people again, Mike. Yeah, I've been. Uh, I was really debating on putting up the picture of me getting the the vaccine. Cause I was like, maybe I could just milk that, you know, for a couple of years. <laughs> ah, they're still out. You know, I live in L.A. There's a lot of people. I'm still yeah. waiting my turn. I wish I could be there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I I want to talk about the you know because you you talk about self care and the work that you've done and and you've been sober for for twenty four years which is incredible. Um, did did COVID play a was it? Well, I guess you you were kind of uh, used to being a, a recluse. Uh, so I get I was going to ask about the temptation of sobriety during this lockdown because I know a lot of people who were struggling yes. with it I mean the, the worst thing you could do to a fucking addict is be like hey spend some time alone with yourself <laughs> I, I don't have any of those addictions and I, I'm already struggling like how long okay just uh, in yeah. a room yeah. <laughs> okay. sure in a row um, you, you know I'm, I'm, uh, I think you know it's funny I dream about using all the time I have dreams where I'm doing everything I used to do. Still. Every, every week. Every week. And I wake up. Oh, thank God it was a dream. Because in my dream, I'm not using, I'm relapsing. And, uh, and some of the time in the dream, I'm like, okay with it. Sometimes uh, I think I miss it. Uh, there are days I go, God, a, a deep dish olive pie would feel so good right now. It's what I used to call my martinis, a deep dish olive pie. And uh, there, but I never feel I'm going to fall. Um, I never know because I do say what, but I do feel I'm never in that space simply because I am so into um, my sobriety. Uh, I don't do meetings uh, AA is incredible. Uh, I got sober kind of in a different way. I don't believe there's only one way to get sober. I do believe that there's a million ways to stay fucked up. But you, there are ways to do it. Uh, I, I don't go to a lot of meetings. If I felt like, boy, I was going to pick up, I'd run to a meeting. Uh, no question. But um, I never feel uh, the temptation. Uh, I think about it. But I knew, you know, what it when I when I was done, I was done, uh, and I knew I was done. Uh, did I know I would not relapse? You never know, you never know. Um, but I did. I do have friends that are struggling very bad from this quarantine, and it's exactly what you said. You can't 
give an addict nothing to do alone with, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of spare time. And even though the meetings, and I did do a meeting online actually uh, with some other AA people during the, uh, uh, I had a buddy who was on one and I want to be part of it because he was such an amazing speaker. And um, it's still not the same as being in that room with fellow uh, alcoholics and, uh, you know, I'm one of the few people who really don't believe alcoholism and, and I, I'm hoping, okay, I don't believe it's a disease. Um, I believe it's, it's as serious as anything. I, uh, be, uh, diseases, uh, you, you can't cure many of them. Uh, you can, you know, you can't stop booze and drugs. Uh, you can't always stop cancer. You can't stop Alzheimer's. So to call it a disease, and again, the people that call it that know a lot more about mind and body than I do. But I try to take the moniker off it for myself as a disease because uh, I think it's definitely um, our, our wiring and definitely chemical, without a doubt. Why can one person put it down and the other one has to finish the bottle? There's a lot of emotional stuff that goes with that. But you can do that if you're having, you can finish the bottle if you're having a bad week and never drink like that again for the rest of your life. You could, you could have a bad night in college and, you know, you're a teetotaler. So, you know, I don't know if it's a disease. I know it's very, very real. But um, there, were, there were times during the, the pandemic that I really worried about some, some friends and, and just people that were struggling because it's that perfect storm for addicts. Yeah. Yeah. Addicts, depression. I mean, all of those things that uh, the depression, uh, yeah. That go I, 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 I had a bout with my depression, man, and I'm on meds for it. The meds have worked great for 20 years and uh, I had a rough month. I yeah. had a rough month. And that's what people don't understand is sometimes when you fall into these funks, uh, there are no time limits. There's no like, oh, I, I got depression yesterday. You don't know how long it's going to last. You don't know when you're going to fall into these holes or how long you're going to be gone and this and that. And, and that's, that's the dangerous thing with depression. Um, it, yes. could, it could be a few hours. It could be a few weeks. It could be a few months. Um, yeah. you know, and that's, that's what I struggle with with, uh, with, uh, with weed is you know, I don't drink or anything, but you know, I started, uh, started smoking weed when I was in my 30s. Uh, you know, yeah. great idea. And, uh, <laughs> um, and so, uh, um, but I, I still find myself because I have that addictive personality from my father, one of the things I did get from yeah. him. And, uh, yeah, and I, uh, I, so I've, I'll find myself going down that, that hole sometimes where I'll be like, oh, I'll, get, I'll get high this afternoon and uh, I'll cook or I'll, I'll get high and edit something or whatever. And the next thing yeah. I know, it's it's been two weeks, and I've just been fucking baked sure. the whole time. And you're like, oh, sure. yeah, shit. okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's weed, that's the peep. That's the yeah. side people don't don't see. Yeah, weed was my toughest thing to stop. The toughest, twice as tough as booze, uh, twice as tough as anything. It it's, was because it, it seems so harmless, right? Seems so harmless. I, uh, but I had such a strong constitution because of my size that what it would take to get me high or drunk was, um, you know, I knew I would die because it took 
So, I mean, I would go through weed where like, you know, my dealer back in the day was like, you don't think you're losing it? Like you're misplacing <laughs> the weed because you're so fucking high. I go, no. And he goes, and you live alone. I go, I live alone, you know? And it's like, um, I just, I would, you know, wake and bake. And that was me. I would, I, I needed it. I needed it to go to the, the grocery store. I needed uh, five bong hits to talk to my mom. Like I could never talk to my mom. You know, it's funny. It blew my mind because she would, you know, I would talk to her and I would know she's on pills and it would piss me off. But, you know, I would have two joints of Thai weed before I called her. Right. You know, I was going to say, like, you're calling your mom, like, you really need to get your shit together, mom. <laughs> <laughs> exactly fucking right. That's exactly fucking right. You know? So take me back to the, um, the, the origins of using then, because you were, you know, 24 years ago, you're, you started voice acting at a young age. You started performing at a young age. I think you started like yeah. eight, 18, right? 18, 19? Yeah. Yeah. I was 18 when I started. I was a very high, high functioning uh, alcoholic and a drug addict. I, I really, uh, I rarely drank during the day. I hit it hard at night. Uh, I never drank when I worked on Raymond during the day. Um, I would do a little weed sometimes on a break, uh, never on film night. Um, but, uh, you know, if I would go five, six hours without weed, I, I, uh, uh, I was not good. Um, but, um, I was able to, and when I did stand up, I worked high drunk all the fucking time. Um, and now people, when they see my act, they can't believe I'm not drunk with the shit that I'm saying. I went on last night for the first time, uh, second time in 14 months Wow! last night uh, at the club. And uh, I can't tell you how nervous I have been uh, where my anxiety of getting up, I'd only been up one other time that was in November and it didn't go great. <laughs> and um, I got to tell you, Mike, I have been dealing with an anxiety that I haven't had in a long time about performing live and you know people keep telling me well dude it's your friggin' material you know it's <laughs> it's so you know edgy <laughs> now it's at a time when everyone's on edge right you know but um i was worried about some of my uh, uh racial humor i was a little worried about it and um i'm like but it's who i am it's what i've been doing and i get out last night and i just I said, I, I'm either, they're going to either, you're going to hear a gunshot and then a huge thud or it's going to be okay. And it's amazing. I think people are just dying for some contact from entertainment, any live entertainment. The crowds have been so great. And, um, but it's funny just talking about the quarantine has upped my performing anxiety because, you know, we get up every week, you and I, you know, and um, it's amazing. And then that anxiety and then having to look at my act and reflect on my fucking hacky act as I've been looking at my, you know, you can't perform. Well, I think I'll look at the napkin. I wrote, my, you know, my, my act after 35 years is on one fucking napkin. I mean, there's something wrong with that. You know, I actually had a bit of a, it actually said Reagan impression. I was doing a Reagan impression the last time I looked at my notes. And I'm like, this is, I don't deserve, you know, and then I got anxiety and then I got 
insecure. And then I felt like, fuck, my days are over. And then it went into depression. And, uh, yeah. you know, I'm yelling, Izzy, where are you? And I hear a moving van pull up. <laughs> so that's been my month. Yeah, you know, and it's because uh, you have changed over the I mean, that Ronald Reagan impression is now your closer. Well, it's my closer because of, I do him as a ghost. <laughs> so it's like it's if Ronnie would be coming to me to give me well, Brand, yes, you know, <laughs> give, give me advice. And, you know, it's uh, what's old is new again. You know, yeah. I know I'm hack, but there's a part of me that's nostalgic. I, uh, I, you know, it's so interesting. You bring up that anxiety. I had something similar, uh, about a month ago, uh, my wonderful girlfriend for my birthday had planned this, this little weekend away in, uh, in death Valley, <laughs> which sounds so romantic. Oh, that's, now that that's that. yeah. Let's go out to the desert. To bury a person. Yeah, exactly. yeah. No one for miles. Um, so <laughs> see uh you know we we planned this trip it was you know covid friendly you know all that stuff uh, again this this was there it's death valley yeah literally i i swear to god brad there's not there's two restaurants in town and they're named after you know some guy that lives there you know what i mean it's one of those towns where it's like you're going down to bob's you know it's like one of those right there's a, a a gas station and then there's a place to 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 get new tires and that's it like that's the whole fucking town why would I've you know I've never been there, native Californian, never oh. been to why would you go to Death Valley? It was gorgeous. I mean, we're you know, we're in all that white people shit. We hike, sure. we, we eat hummus, you know, all that stuff. Oh, you do okay. And and it, but is it gorgeous? Because when I when I drive through it as fast as I can on the way to <laughs> Vegas, I notice it seems very barren. There's almost like a, a an orange gas that lays over yeah. the terrain. What is beautiful? Is it beautiful? Like it's not like Utah or anything like that. What, what's great is uh, is uh, after <laughs> this is going to sound like a joke, but after after the sun goes down at night, there's yes. uh, what we don't know about here in Los Angeles. There's uh, these things in the uh, in the air called stars. And stars? Uh, yeah, it's they're like little light bulbs almost. Right. Um, <laughs> and they just I mean, they're gorgeous out there. And yeah. And so it's, it, that, that must be pretty breathtaking because we don't see that. No, it was beautiful out there. And it's just empty and you can just see for miles and miles. It was just it was beautiful. But on the and way, you don't there, get scared. It's like, what's that noise or. What's oh, that thing I hear? One night, well, the first night we're there, we're in the hotel. We have the little door open. You know, we're getting some fresh air. We're, we're hanging out. Uh, and uh, we keep hearing, like, some some yips going on outside. And I'm like, are these kids in the pool? Like, you know, 11 o'clock? And I'm like, what's yeah. up? We go outside. We got to the balcony. It's coyotes. They're surrounding the hotel. <laughs> we just, in every direction, you just hear, yip, yip, boo, yip, yip, boo. <laughs> like, we are. It's Custer's last stand. Yeah. (laughs) Those are Indians. I was like, honey, I'm what was it? Coyotes? Yeah, coyotes surrounding the hotel. What was it? Yeah, coyotes. That's a non-starter. That's a non-starter. That's not a birthday present. (laughs) What I'm getting at is uh, it was, you know, a couple hours away and it was, you know, out and we had a hotel. You have a great girlfriend. I only met her once. What a delight. She's what incredible. a great vibe. I'm way, so happy. Way, way out of my league. And uh, yeah, well, we all feel that way, people like us. But, you know, <laughs> they're so, there for something. I had that anxiety, though, of traveling, of leaving the house, of actually getting out into the world. I yeah. and I, you know, you and I, 
I travel 40 weeks a year. I'm, I live on a fucking airplane, you know, like before the, even the, even anybody tells me to put my seatbelt on, I'm asleep. <laughs> you know, like, I'm out like a, like a fucking baby on the flight, like, you know, whatever. Uh, I had so much anxiety on the way yeah. there being around people being just out in the world. Uh, I, I can't imagine if somebody were to call me tomorrow and say, Hey, we got a spot tomorrow. You want to do 10? Fuck. Yeah. Uh, I don't, yeah. I mean, I don't know. No, do I? I, I <laughs> and it felt so good, you know, after that first laugh, which unfortunately I was 15 minutes in. So, uh, that was so, a little that was a little like death valley so so things but, are back uh, to normal then yeah it was back to normal good, good. <laughs> but it was amazing to watch people in masks you know it's like you're you know it's like uh like a scene out of patch adams you know <laughs> you're up there doing stick and everyone's in a mask and on a scooter and they're and they're laughing and it's hard you know it's hard for me to hear laughter anyway so, you know, Ed, it's like, Brad, it's not, it's not going to be as loud as you're used to. And I'm like, are you taking a shot at me? <laughs> no. It was like people are laughing in mass, but they're so into it, you know, and they were great for everybody. But yeah, I, I didn't, uh, I'm like, God, I've been doing this so long. But my anxiety just about having to get up again really was like off the chart. And, and, then, and then I said to myself yesterday, I said, you know what? This is ego fueled. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to bring that up. This idea, like when you first start getting into stand up, uh, it is a lot of that um, ego and it, it feeds so much of it. And you're looking for, for yeah. me personally, you know, what I've figured out years later is, you know, what I've been searching for is that approval. Right. And I, I'm, right. I'm sure somebody like you that has come from a similar upbringing that I had and, sure. you know, being paired against, you know, those parents and this and that, and uh, you, you are, you're looking for that approval. Um, I guess the yeah. question, so, so why do it now, Brad, what are you doing now? <laughs> no, but, uh, no, but what, what do you think it is now that keeps us going? I've, you know, I've been doing stand up 20 years. What the fuck? Yeah. Why? What am I doing still? What are we doing? I'm asking myself, I, you know, I got to tell you, I'm really, really asking myself that. <laughs> and, uh, be, be, you know, it's funny. I've been, I, and I think this is what almost is adding to some of my other uh, things in my head that I'm, I'm questioning. The rush, as far as like the TV or the acting or the, the small amount of film I do, I'm getting to the point where the rush isn't as big as the bullshit. And I don't know if it's I'm in a healthier place or I've just succumbed to the fact that I'm going to be 61. I've had a great role. I'm a little tired of, you know, still tap dancing after, you know, a certain amount of projects that have been okay. I feel like I'm just tired of the game. Um, and also, as I say, I'm picky when it comes to material and I'm not in demand. So when you're picky and not in demand, it's a horrible combo because I'm turning down shit they don't even want me for. So that's, <laughs> that's what I'm fighting myself. But it's like, but there's still no rush like stand up. No, there's not. And, 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 and that's why I think it. I keep going back because it still makes me nervous. It's still different every night. 
you still never really have it down. And when you have an audience that's with you and you're coming up with shit, um, it's, it's powerful. And, but my point from earlier was a lot of my anxiety was how I would go over. And the only way I was able to go at the last minute and have fun last night is if I took that ego element out of it because the ego started taking over and hurting my love for the craft because, oh, so now it's about how well you do as opposed to being grateful enough to do what you love. Man, you're so right in all aspects of life that ego and gratitude are constantly fighting. Yeah, yeah. 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 And you, you, you really have to, again, it goes back to not only doing the hard work, but asking yourself the hard questions. Yeah. And that's what it, it comes. Well, that's what self-care really is for me is, is asking yourself, you know, the why's. Why, yeah. why am I doing this? Well, it makes me feel this. Well, why does it make me feel this way? Well, it, right. you know, well, why, right. why does that matter? Well, it matters, but you know, and you just yeah. get down that, that rabbit hole until you really get to the fucking root of it. And it's yeah. usually that root is usually, uh, you know, a front row seat at, at watching ego and gratitude battle it the fuck out. Yeah. 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 Well put. Yeah. Before we get out of here, I won't, I won't keep you too much longer. Um, well, it's you, always a pleasure, man. You are somebody who has had such a, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at your IMDb earlier and, and you know, it's my, my phone went dead. I was scrolling so long and, and uh, was, you know, you've done so much. Those are, those are just auditions. Oh. Those were just auditions. <laughs> I put on my IMDb only callbacks. Oh my God, that's smart. I like that. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. No, that's you know, it's so funny. Yeah. I was telling my buddy, uh, I was telling my buddy Faber, I was like, Hey, I'm talking to Brad on, on Thursday. I'm having him on the podcast. And, uh, and my buddy said, you know, I just watched him wrestle Vin Diesel in a, <laughs> in a onesie. <laughs> and I said, Wait a Oh minute. my God. Talk about ending a career. <laughs> so that was, but you're, you're somebody, you're somebody who is, you know, uh, you you pop up in these in these these oddities of 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 life of this this art form here and there where uh, you know you were uh, uh, you did vo- you did a lot of voice work when you were younger you were Shredder and a Ninja Turtles thing you were on Bobby's World you, you had you know you're wrestling Vin Diesel you're Eeyore uh, on top of being you know uh, a living legend from you know everybody loves Raymond and single parents yeah. and all the sitcom work that you've done and Fargo and all this great stuff. Um, and then you've also, with your standup, you've also, you know, for listeners who don't know, like you used to open for Sinatra and, and Diane Warwick and all these great, you know, legends there in Vegas, and Sammy, what, if you had to choose one, you, you, you had to go back in time and you only got to, to be one of those things, voice actor, sitcom star stand up and you, you only got to do one which one brings you the much most joy and which one would you pick to to do it all over again Man, that's a great question <laughs> uh, uh I, I i you know it's i i you know i think of how lucky i was to get on raymond 
that was probably creatively the most fun of my life. There'll be nothing like that. Um, but there were highs I had as a stand-up when you're out there alone and everything depends on every minute. Um, but I, I, I mean, I think as, as, as an actor, to be honest, uh, because I get bored very easily, being able to go from one different character to another uh, has always been wonderful and challenging. And Tom Hanks had a great ho uh, uh, quote. He said, uh, try to take the jobs that scare you. So as far as stand-up, I think that's it's hard to find anything more rewarding. But um, I think Raymond is when uh, I was probably the most content uh, creatively. Mm. I'm never really content as a stand-up. You know, I get off stage and I'm like, well, I fooled them. You know, I, you know, you know, I see these guys that come off and go, I crushed, you know, and uh, not only would I never want to say that about myself, but, uh, you know, it just makes me go, God, I, I've really never felt that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, as somebody you get who's, out alive, you get out alive. You, you know, you and I, I feel the same way. And I, I always come off stage like, I'll get them next time. And, uh, yeah. you know, uh, you, you never, you know, as somebody who's always chasing that, that same high, you know, uh, I, I, I come off stage with the, with the same ideas and the same feelings as you do. And, and I, I'm, I'm here to tell you again, not to kiss your ass, but God damn it, you level a fucking room, Brad. Uh, I've, I've worked with you many a times and, and man, you just level a fucking See, that's, that's the cigars talking. <laughs> that's the cigars. I can't wait to work with you again, man. And we will, we will. And hopefully, uh, I hope you're, you, you make, uh, my place one of your first stops. Oh, I would love to. I can't wait I to see you, bud. I love watching you as, as, uh, what, what I tell people about you is, What's great about going to your show, you're a lesson, you're a lesson in comedy and humanity. And um, I've always felt that way about you. And uh, I, you know, I would watch you many times when you were at the club and you would have people laughing and then you would talk about your mom and especially when you were going, when you were in the bowels of your grief and people would be welling up and they would come up to you after a show and cry because you hit a button that they were having. See, that's, that's something you can't get in acting. That's yes. something you can stand up. You can maybe get it in theater. Theater's pretty powerful, but stand up, you know, is a real departure. You know, someone can watch you on TV and that can be a departure too. But when it's something is live and you're engaging and you're hitting the buttons, and, you know, to make a person leave a show and go, I'm going to be okay, is a lot huger than going, oh, you're so fucking funny. You do both. So well, God bless you for that. And, and come and do both in my new room. Well, thank you, after me, they deserve a comedy show <laughs> well thank you buddy that's so nice and i love you I so much that. and and i miss love you it. and i can't wait to see you again and, and thanks for doing thanks for coming you, on here man oh, love man, your love show you. i'm proud of you i love you too man i'll talk to you soon all right brother thanks mikey
Thank you guys so much for listening. I want to give a special thanks to my guest, Brad Garrett. Uh, if you're interested in seeing Brad perform live on stage, that's right. You can go see him in Vegas at the MGM Grand at, you guessed it, Brad Garrett's Comedy Club. You can find tickets and showtimes at bradgarrettscomedyclub.com. And if you want to keep up with me or reach out at all, you can always find me on Instagram and Twitter at Malone Comedy. That's at Malone Comedy. And I'll have a bunch of new tour dates coming up at MaloneComedy.com. Thanks for listening.